Thank you all so much for joining me today. Before I begin, I need to pray. Father God, we just come boldly before your throne of grace. We thank you so much for being full-time in our life. We ask that you please allow us to receive your word today. Let it resonate in our hearts. Let us apply what we need to apply so that we can be victorious and have sustainability while also being righteous. And God, we just ask that you continue to keep our hearts softened and melted for you. Let us be sensitive to the voice of the Holy Spirit. God, um, thank you so much for giving us the Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, I just ask that you please allow me to deliver the word today. Let me minister grace to those that are listening. Let me um, be able to provide that which is edifying of your word. Um, let us be able to apply what we need to apply in our life so that we could just be victorious. Let us walk in victory because we are not victims of anything in this world. God, because you have delivered us and set us free. Therefore, we have victory in all things through you. And so we just give you glory, praise, and honor. And I just ask that you do not let me forget anything that I need to discuss today. Quicken the Holy Spirit inside of me so that I can be obedient, God. And also allow us to continue to see things and hear things from your eyes and ears so that we're not depending on our own understanding, but we're depending on you. And so, God, I just thank you, Lord. Um, for just being in our life. We ask also that you remove every obstacle and barrier in our path that will try to prevent us from fulfilling your plan, will, and purpose, God. And we ask that you position us, our position our feet upon the solid ground so that we can walk in righteousness and be effective and efficient in this world. And so, God, we just thank you for the Holy Spirit that dwells inside of us. And we ask that you continue to allow the Holy Spirit to be greater in us than the spirits that's in this world. And so we ask that you allow us to dominate in every area, in, in every space through the power of your Holy Spirit, influencing all through your Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus Christ, it is sealed in your atonement blood. Amen. Hey, 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 everybody. Thank you so much for joining me today on Laws, Life, and Health. Let's talk about it. Um, okay, so I wanted to talk about a few things today. Um, there has been a couple changes, not too many drastic changes, but I wanted to sort of integrate um, a different video program. So as you've noticed, like for, I would say the past, week and a half or two weeks i have not used zoom um i'm actually trying to transition and become familiar with this other um this other streaming app okay so this other streaming app allows me to stream multiple um platforms at once so this should be a much more efficient process and what i need to do i need to try to embed the actual um the code into my website so once I get familiar with doing this and try, I, I need to make sure that I can, you know, fully understand this new um, streaming service. And once I get fully acquainted, I will be going back live um, via video as well. So in the meantime, just please bear with me. I am still learning some of the logistics and how to maneuver the content onto this new media service. And hopefully this will be a more efficient process for me. And so I, I'm all about being effective and having efficiency. Okay. So 
it hopefully you all should be able to access it too and that's what i'm trying to learn how to integrate all of the comments and stuff into one streaming app so moving moving forward Today, I want to really um, dive deep into the discussion of women's health and being curious, right? So, usually, curiosity has a negative annotation for many people, right? They're like, well, why are you curious? Why are you curious about this? And, you know, we see there is a negative, a negative perspective with even curious about the garden of the tree of the life of uh, of the knowledge of good and evil right her curiosity led her to trying to fulfill her desires and her pleasures but curiosity right is something that god wants us to have and when we are incorporating curiosity we need to be looking at this from a positive perspective, meaning that we're not going to be analyzing curiosity that's coming from a negative annotation. Okay. Um, so this particular podcast, I want to emphasize and I really want to attenuate to being curious about God. Okay having curiosity for god is so important and there is so many people that miss the beat they miss a mark about being curious for god and so um that's what i want to really place emphasis on today and talk about how we can be curious for god and how god you know can really um help inspire our life significantly when we are curious about him okay so let me i want to um let me just give a example i wanted to go over a testimony i love providing testimonies i believe that um storytelling really connects us and it allows others to sort of relate but if you don't relate to the story that's fine it's just my testimony so testimony may it may not impact you but it can indirectly or directly impact somebody else or maybe somebody else that you know so we use our testimonies as a way to bring attention to the glory of god with how god has you know like delivered us and set us free um from certain things and so i want to talk about how um i, I want to really talk about how god you know, um, just have been there for me when I basically when I I have been curious about certain things. So when I was younger, I would say, um, how old? I'm trying to think how old I was. I was, I believe that I'm trying to say. Okay, actually that's that's how old i was okay so i think i was probably around 19 or 20 years old i was 19 or 20. and so okay so at the at this time um so this is what was going on i was married i got married when i was 18 years old and so what was happening during this time was um so my husband he worked and i also worked and I also had went to school. 
And so we have, at this time, we have two kids. We are married and we're, you know, um, just basically doing everything that we need to do as a married couple. And so at this time, I wanted to really like see like what other services we could give to our kids to like really nourish them and you know just provide like more support so i wanted to get like a, i wanted to get help for um just like with some some of my my kids tuition fee every week um because it, it was kind of a little hard a little bit because my ex-husband as i've already talked about this my ex-husband's family are um Ku Klux Klan members right so his mom and his his maternal side of his family his mom's side of the family they are all 100% German people okay so his grandfather was the grand master of the Ku Klux Klan he was the wizard of the Ku Klux Klan and um so they basically kind of like own cities you know, um, the, their first, middle, and last name all starts with the letter K. And I've already explained this on a previous podcast. Um, so just moving forward from that, we ended up kind of like moving away and stuff. And so I wanted to get a little help for our children. And so I had applied for us to get like some child care assistance. I mean, we've pretty much been working a long time like since we were teenagers so so i i think that sometimes if you need help it's okay to get help every now and then not not to like just sit back and just depend on the help forever but you as a working person if events happen in your life where you need a little bit of assistance you've worked your entire life you should be able to get some type of help or assistance and so at this time i believe i was 19 20 years old and so i applied for some like child care assistance because my husband and i were both both working and i was in school and so um we needed some help and so basically what happened was in this state that we were residing in at this time the governor did not approve individuals that were like married households they could not get assistance. The only way that you could qualify for uh, child care assistance was if you were not working. Okay. And so this was so, <laughs> this was so ambiguous simply because I'm like, well, wait, wait, wait. Okay. So child care assistance, I only need probably maybe a hundred dollars a week. Like I'm literally was spending about uh four hundred dollars per week per um for for each one of my kids so that's about eight hundred dollars a week for child care that was being spent um so i needed probably about maybe a hundred and fifty dollars or yeah between one a hundred and a hundred and fifty dollars a week i needed a little bit of help and so at this time i couldn't get any help because in order for you to qualify for child care assistance, you were only able to get it if you receive food stamps. So I didn't receive food stamps and my husband didn't get food stamps. So you cannot actually get child care assistance. Now, to speed up this story, 
okay <laughs> this is so interesting because i was actually disappointed in our government system and, and this started when i was about 19 years old and so i was like oh wow i just can't believe that you know if a person is receiving food stamps that means that they are in a single parent household right and they are most likely not working and they are single um, moms who are either just in school okay and working part-time and so the only way you can get get child care assistance in this state was if you were receiving food stamps and so my husband and i we did not receive any food stamps at all and so we needed like i said i needed like a hundred between 100 and 150 dollars per week and i mean i had been working since i was a kid like a teenager i it, it wasn't like i need like i'm sitting on the system and need this money all the time um but i so let me explain what happened so what ended up happening was i um I actually contacted every single House of Representatives, every single member of Congress, that includes the House of Senate and the House of Representatives. My husband bought me a computer and um, I was able to, I ended up quitting my job, but I really wanted to make a change in legislation. And so I was kind of like, I was like feeling sorry for families who like really only needed uh, and they were unable to get the little bit of support that they needed. And, you know, so that was unfortunate. So they basically would pay for childcare if I didn't work. So they would pay for me to, you know, like they would pay for childcare if I just go to school, but not work. And so that to me, it was not like, it was ambiguous and it was unethical, right? It's like, wait a minute. I don't need, I don't need you to pay $800 a week, but you're saying that if I don't work, you'll pay the $800 a week, but you won't give me the hundred or $150 a week that I need. So that is really unethical and it was ambiguous. And so what ended up happening, my husband at the time, he bought me a computer. And so I contacted all of the members of the of Congress, including the House of Senate and the House of Representatives. I asked them specifically, what is your stance on child care reform and how do you plan on supporting the future goals of child care reform for working families? Because see, childcare is for single parent households that are really based off of statistics were not working. It was not implemented for families who are working. But if you don't, if you are a two parent household and one parent is working, that is fine. All you need to do is qualify for $10 or a dollar of food stamps and you can get childcare and they will pay the full amount right and so i just thought that this was so wrong and so unethical so i really wanted to know the stance of all congress members 
and their position on child care reform for working class families. So what I did was I ended up contacting the Rainbow Push Coalition. And so I did a protest at the governor's office at the time. His name, uh, the governor was Tim Pawlenty. Tim Pawlenty, um, out of the state of Minnesota. And this is so long ago. This is back in 2002, um, 2003. And so I formed the march and I um, literally had about 5,000 people at this march, um, including the Rainbow Push Coalition. I was also contacted by, uh, I think it was MTV um, for there uh to be a teen mom activist or something like that but i didn't want to do all of that because i didn't have the time to be doing that i didn't want to do that i don't i didn't like too much attention like that but the news instead of them playing instead of the news um focusing on the actual march itself because they had like a discrepancy with some of the members that were marching they ended up now turning the entire protest around about me so they came to my house they did a special segment and about me and my family and um child care reform but the point of the matter is is that like i did not want it to be focused primarily on me and so it did bring like attention you know and um I mean, I really, I'm really not for that when it, especially when it comes to my kids and stuff, I want to be able to make sure that we live in like a pretty private life and stuff. But when it comes to this childcare reform, I felt like, you know, there were a lot of more families that really could have been benefiting from these services, you know, working class families. And so what ended up happening was I ended up going to this place. And they really started helping me um, with more childcare expenses and stuff. And so that, that was really nice. Um, but that was God that provided that. You know, God opened the doorway up for me to do that. God opened the doorway up for me to contact, you know, the Congress members. God gave me the energy that I needed to do in order for us to, you know, even have a protest. So when I talked to God about this situation, it was like, God, he simply said to me, he said, you know, that your the testimony that has been spoken over your life is going to be fulfilled. It may not seem like it now, but it will be fulfilled. And it was like, okay, at this time, I'm so young and I'm like, I'm just so on fire like for god too i needed it was like god i'm so curious about like what is the next steps like i was just wondering now where is god about to lead me to next where am i going now you know and so god just was he just kept changing the trajectory of my life you know and it's because of the curiosity that i had for god being more curious about his plan in my life it was like okay at this time i ended up going through like an abusive marriage and stuff too and i ended up escaping that situation and i took my kids and, and we escaped that environment 
But then some other things happen, and I've already talked about that in my testimony of conversations with God. You can go in and listen to that podcast. But I wanted to make sure that everyone are not, we are not just associating the way we the way we are curious about things in life with a negative annotation. Because when you are curious about what God's plan is for your life, when you are curious about where God is leading you, when you are curious about what God's will is, you have to be curious about God. If you, the first step in understanding the plan, will, and purpose of God for your life is to be curious about what he wants for you see a lot of times people are so curious about what's the next move to make some money they chasing the bag they chasing the money see you keep chasing the money and you gonna lose it because you going about it the wrong way see if you chasing money that means that you don't have room to to get it because you're chasing it some people say that you know you you do you need to you need to keep moving and keep going and keep going. Yes, you should keep moving and you should keep going. But guess what? If you're chasing money, you're going to miss the beats because sometimes if you stand still and you move at a turtle pace, let me tell you about the turtle pace. When you're moving at a turtle pace, it allows you to see things that you would have otherwise missed. When you're moving at a turtle pace, you can be positioned in a way to see something that you wouldn't have seen if you was just sprinting through. Quit sprinting through life, moving so fast, Because you want to chase the money and the money can't stay in your pocket. It's not staying in your bank account because you have not understood the principles of what it means to be financially victorious. Because if you keep doing the same thing, you're going to keep getting what? The same results. The same outcome. God will allow you to go through repeated mistakes and recycle mistakes until you learn it. Those are those aha moments. Aha. Did you get an aha moment yet? Aha. That's what God is saying. Aha. So you need to have those aha moments. Okay. Let's, let's look at Psalm 63 and 1. So it says, a Psalm of David, when he was in the desert of Judah, you, God, are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. So you see, like David, let me tell you something about David in the Bible. David was 
an adulterer. He was a murderer. He slept with the married lady, uh, what, who was Bathsheba, and was doing a lot. But guess what David had that many people do not have? He had a repentant heart. His heart was filled with repentance. He was a repentant, curious, thirsty child of God. He was thirsty for God. Every time he messed up, he said, Oh, God, my enemies surround me on my right side. They surround me on my left. They're surrounding me everywhere. And then he just prayed to God and he repent. That's the, that's the point. You have to, we have to start looking at the characters in the Bible should be an inspiration to us. They should be an inspiration. So yes, David was an adulterer. Yes, David did a lot of things, but David had a repentant heart and he was thirsty for God. He wasn't out here chasing the money. Because if you keep on chasing the money, you're going to miss your beat. You're, you should be moving as a turtle. Move at a turtle pace. It's okay to move at a turtle pace. Because the turtle pace is going to allow you to see things that what you would have otherwise missed. So we see in Psalm 63 and 1 that David, he earnestly was seeking God. He was thirsty for God. His whole being longed for God. In the dry land where there was no water, he just wanted more of God. So it's like when we're going through our experience in life, how are we longing for God? Are you, can you long for God? Can you be thirsty for him? Like God, wait, wait, wait. I, I need to know what you mean by this scripture right here. I'm not about to call nobody and ask them, oh, well, what you think this scripture is saying? Uh-uh, no, no, no. See, I want to know what God is saying. So God, please tell me, what did you mean by that? What do you mean by this scripture right here? Give me revelation, God. I need to understand. I need to perceive what you're saying, Lord. Because everybody's saying something different. So what do you mean? So yes, curiosity is good. Quit associating curiosity with being bad. We see Psalm 63 and 1 in the New Living Translation. It says, oh God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. The King James Bible says, a Psalm of David, when he was in the wilderness of Judah, oh God, thou art my God. Early will I seek thee. My soul thirsted for thee. My flesh longed for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. Now, you know, the Amplified Bible is nice. So the Amplified Bible says, a Psalm of David, when he was in the wilderness of Judah, Oh God, you are my God with deepest longing. 
I will seek you. My soul, my life, my very self thirsts for you. My flesh longs and sighs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So we see that God, what do you think? What do you think God's response is to David? God responds to David. He blesses David. He blesses David's children. He blesses Solomon, which is David's son. He blesses him to have all of the wisdom in the entire world. Saul was chasing after David. Saul wanted to kill David. David went into the cave. He was running, hiding from God. God had a plan for David. Just because, listen, this man had a repentant heart. So it doesn't matter what you didn't went through in your life. Don't feel like God don't care about you. Like your sins are so weary and so bad that God won't listen to you. See, when we look at, when we look at Paul, for instance, let's look at Paul. See, God, thank you, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit got me going to a different scripture because I was about to go to another scripture. So let's go to Paul. Paul, um, Paul on the road to Damascus, right? Let me, let me show, show you this. Okay. So, so Paul, if you go to Acts chapter nine. Saul, we're not talking about Saul in the Old Testament. We're talking about Saul in the New Testament, okay? Saul in the New Testament is Paul. So Saul is later named Paul. We, we always see this association with God changing the names of his children, you know, when they, when they change their life. So Paul, guess what he was? He was a murderer too. He did things. He did a lot of bad stuff. Right, he used to kill all the Christians. He killed all the Christians. Like he literally would slaughter them. He would kill them. He would stone them to the he did all type of stuff to the Christians. Okay. And so now when he changed his life, he reeked. Okay, so he ended up running into Jesus, right? Um, on the road into Damascus. He was on Damascus Road. So it says in Acts 9, he was journeying, he had journeyed uh, and came near Damascus and suddenly a light had shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? This is in Acts 9 chapter, uh, Acts chapter 9 verse 4. And he said, who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goals. So he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what do you, what do you want me to do? See, I want you to pay, pay attention to this. Acts chapter nine, verse six is very specific. This is Paul who is Saul being curious about God. Acts chapter 9, verse 6. So he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what do you want me to do? This man is going around killing everybody. He literally slaughtering all the Christians. 
all of all of God's children. So I'm not gonna say specifically Christians because Christian is only written in the Bible two times. So that's really like a pagan word that has been created by the Romans. Okay, we don't have to adopt the word Christian. We are disciples of Christ. We are servants of God. So the word Christian, yes, it has a, a you know association to the Bible because it's been mentioned twice. But the word Christian shouldn't be dominating the perspective of God's children. And that's the truth. So when we look in Acts chapter 9 verse 6, it's specifically saying that he is trembling and astonished. Because this light from heaven has come upon him on this road near Damascus. So he says, Lord... What do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, arise and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. See, you have to understand that when God wants you to do something, he has a plan for you. He has a purpose for you. It doesn't matter what you think your daddy is. See, to whom much is given, much is required. So it just say you went to the bank. I'm going to give this an example about how sins are forgiven. Okay. And I, I pray that this is a good way to put it in layman's terms. So just say you went to the bank. And when you went to the bank, you borrowed $500,000. Your friend borrowed a million dollars. So... You all went to the bank and then all of a sudden the bank was going out of business. So they had to forgive your debt. So who is going to be more appreciative? The person with $500,000 $500, worth of debt forgiving or the person with a million dollars worth of debt forgiving? Well, this, this should be easy. The person with a million dollars of debt forgiven is going to be more ecstatic than the person with the $500,000 debt because they had a larger debt that was forgiven. So in the same aspect, the sins that you commit when you're forgiving, guess what? That means you, God, forgiving a larger debt for you. So that means that you should be indebted to him. How you going to be forgiven, but you don't accept the forgiveness? It don't work like that. So God is saying to you today that it doesn't matter about what you don't want to accept. It don't matter about what you don't want to forgive yourself for doing. It don't matter about where you think you fell, on which world you was at how you did it, when you did it, God is saying, look, I have forgiven you. So this man is hated by everybody, okay, because he didn't went and, and kill all these Christians, okay, all of the people that believe in God. So God is telling him, look, I want you to, I want you to go to the city, and you will be told what you must do. And so the men who had journeyed with him stood speechless. They was all speechless. See, because the problem with Paul is, it's like, the you know, God forgave him. But the people 
had not forgiven him. Paul would just stand back while he would watch people get stoned. And he would stone them on the top of the head and everything. He would beat believers to death. Because these are people who really practice the law. Right? They were like really religious Pharisees too. He was a chief Pharisee. Paul was a chief Pharisee. So he was like a chief priest. So the people who wouldn't obey the law, he would go kill them. He would go stone them. He was like a chief enforcer, similar to how gangs have, like gang members out here. They have chief enforcers. Who your chief enforcer? They go out and they go, you know, do bad stuff. So that's what Paul was. Paul would go and be the chief priest. The chief enforcer of the law. So if you didn't abide by the law, you're going to get stoned to death. And so that's what Paul would do. Okay. And so God, inter God intervened. So God intervened. So, but you have to understand what, let's look at this Acts 9 specifically. So Paul he see this light shine on him from heaven, which changes his life. He fell to the ground. So how is God changing your life? If How many people do God have to send in your path for you to listen to him? How many people do God have to send where you finally like listening to him so this is what god saying so paul see this light shine on him from heaven so he falls to the ground then he hear his voice saul saul why are you persecuting me so he 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 already on the ground he like oh 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 okay uh who are you lord so he was probably like startled a little bit, you know, because he on the ground now looking like this light shining on him. Who are you? See, Paul was thinking what he was doing was right up until that point. Usually when people are doing things in life, they think what they're doing is right. You think you justify, oh, she she want to play games with me, I'm going to show her. Oh, he want to play games with me, I'm going to show him. Oh, my boss want to act funny with me? Okay, okay, I'm going to show him at the next meeting. Oh, my cousins want to do this. Or, you know, my, my neighbors, she was over there gossiping and she was doing this, you know, and he was doing that. And so I'm just going to show them I'm not going to be involved. We're not baking any more cookies at my house. My kids don't need to go to their parties anymore. So you understand, like, it's it's not really about the way you think things should be. 
How are you responding to when God is trying to tell you something? How do you respond when that light from heaven shine on you? It might not be a, a physical light. It might be someone who God is sending in your path. So we see that in verse five, he like, who are you, Lord? Then the Lord says, to, to, says I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And in verse six, he has a change of reflection. Lord, what do you want me to do? He finally realized in that moment, it took that moment to happen. It took that in that moment. See, in the moments that you're feeling. One time, my friend. So once my friend was getting upset with me. So I was like. Well, you know, I would like for you to stop being rude to me right now. Right now in this moment. I'm asking you to stop being rude right now, this moment. Listen to what you're saying right now, this moment. So it's like, it's like when people, when people hear in the moment what they're doing, like you have to pay attention to yourself in the moment, in the moment, right now, in this moment. See, because some people, they don't understand what it means to change in the moment. You don't, you don't have to, you don't have to follow through with your infidelity. You don't have to follow through your cheating. You don't have to follow through your lies. You don't have to follow through with theft, stealing, robbery, burglary. You don't have to follow through with any of that. What are you going to do right now in the moment? Pay attention to what God is saying to you in the moment. And so that's like with my friend, I was like in the moment right now, just stop being rude right now to me in this moment. Pay attention to what you're doing right now, this moment. Listen to what you're saying right now. Do you hear yourself speaking? And so many times we as people are not paying attention to those moments when God is speaking to us. So God is saying right here, this is what, what is what Paul is saying. Lord, what do you want me to do? See, he didn't go back and forth with God. Jesus said, look, you are persecuting me. The next thing that Paul says is, Lord, what do you want me to do? He understands what his position and how his position was wrong. See, because it isn't about the law. Everybody keeps saying the law is the law, the law, the law. The law doesn't set you free. Jesus Christ is the one who provides the salvation. So that is the way that it works. So we see here that there is a significant 
improvement in Paul's life. He changes. Well, his name was Saul at this time. His name is then changed to Paul. Okay. And he changes his life. He goes from persecuting the Christians. So now he's preaching to them about why the law doesn't work. Because at first he would go out and kill everybody, anybody that was not bad about the law. So that's the point. We have to be curious. Paul was curious. He said, what do you want me to do? If you're not asking God no questions, you better unlearn some of those things you've been taught. Like I said, I tell everybody this. Look, I love my grandma. I love my parents. I love my family. I really do. I have a very, very big family. I have so many male cousins that it don't make no sense how many male cousins I have. It's like a few female cousins. I've been around all men my whole life. So that's the point. The point is, is that when you coming from a certain space, a upbringing, a certain lifestyle, you're going to have these pre-existing thoughts and belief systems, which can actually interfere in your behavior, in your reactions, your responses, your perception. It influences your conscious because see, your conscious is your co-perception. Your faith. It's something that God has given you, but the hope that you have is your secondary faith. Hope is secondary faith, right? So understand that God wants us to unlearn some of the things that you was taught. Like my grandmother, I love my grandmother and she had eight kids by my grandfather. Eight. My mom had just two, me and my sister. My dad only had just me and my sister. My dad didn't have no other kids. So we were kind of spoiled, really. I, but, you know, my mom, she just does whatever she want to do anytime she want to do it. And she's been that way forever. So, um, but God is working on her. That's what I'm going to say. God is working on all of us. So whatever it is that we all need to unlearn, like I, I'm not going to listen to my, I'm not, I wouldn't listen to my grandmother if she had five different baby daddies. I'm like, well, grandma, how are you going to teach me about being married? You, you have five different men that you had kids back. But my grandmother didn't. She had just only one. But I can't get no advice from somebody who got seven baby daddies. Like, I'm not saying that God is not working with you, but I don't want a relationship advice from you. I don't want marriage advice from you. And I'm not like demeaning nobody. I'm just simply saying that you, you have to show that you, you have a proven track record of what a relationship is, marriage is. So if that means that you have to unlearn some things from some people, you need to go back into your life 
and into your conscience and ask God, remove these things that I have had allowed to become strongholds in my life. God, remove these habits in my life that you didn't put in my life, God. Remove these strongholds. Because we could pray all day. But if you're not asking God, if you're not believing God, then what is the point? So the truth is the truth and the truth shall set you free. So we're looking at Acts chapter 9 and verse 6. We see that Paul is curious about what God wants. He said, Lord, what do you want me to do? So we have to ask God, what is it that you want me to do, God? I want to know what your plan is. I want to know what your purpose is for me. You want to know where your cousin's party at. You want to know where they shooting dice at. You want to know where the marijuana is, where they have the drinks at. Where they having the next club party at? When the next birthday? When the next baby shower? Who next wedding it is? What your boss was doing with the with the secretary? You want to know how your cousin husband is so sweet and nice to her, but your husband not to you. You want to know everything about everybody else besides what God want you to do. So we have to be curious about God. Curiosity. I don't care about what they've been teaching. Everywhere you look on the scripture about curiosity, somebody got some negative to say about curiosity. Well, Eve did this. Curiosity leads to death. Curiosity leads to sin. Guess what? If you are curious about God, it's going to lead you to eternal life. Instead of you being curious about the next investment, Instead of you being curious about is the market bullish or is it bear? Instead of you being curious about all of them other different things, we need to be curious of ask God, what do you want me to do? Like, I love my family. I love my cousins. And I will tell you this right now. My cousins will have a girlfriend in the house and another girlfriend across the street. So I will tell you this. I've seen some things that couldn't, you know, like really made me think of men. It could make me think of men different. But I did not look at them different. Because of what I seen my cousins do. Because, see, there's a lot of women that like my family members. Okay. And they all got girlfriends. I don't have one single cousin that is single. So when we think about the things that God wants, you have to understand 
that our perception really impacts and shapes our behavior and reactions to things. So you need to unlearn some things in order for you to get to a point of curiosity and you're asking God, what is it that you want me to do? What do God want you to do? I invited you on. Um, I saw that you just sent the request. So this, this is important. That's what we need to be doing. Um, what is your road to Damascus? How are you asking God? What is it that you want me to do, God? Because I tell you right now, I, I have been wanting to do something different besides school the past year. It's like, I want to write about so many other things. I do not want to have to sit here and focus on this same project, CRISPR technology of genetic engineering any more than I have to. My friend, he said, you talk about, you had to talk about CRISPR technology so much. You going to get CRISPR technology tattooed on you. I said, oh, <laughs> I'm not about to get that tattooed on me. Absolutely not. He said, so everybody know about CRISPR technology that I know. They are experts of CRISPR technology, okay? If I'm an expert, they are an expert. If I mess up, we all gonna mess up. If I become wealthy, they all become affluent just like me. So that, that's just the way that it is. If one of us fall, we all fall. We have to encourage each other. We have to encourage and love each other in a way where we're supporting each other. Lord, what is it that you want me to do? And some people say, well, don't, you're not supposed to question God. Well, where does it say that in the Bible? It says that if you ask, you shall be given. If you seek, you will find. If you knock, the door will be open. So don't get God confused. God is saying don't question his abilities and what he can do. Don't question him like, oh, God can't move this mountain to the, the other part of the sea or the over there somewhere else. Don't question if God can fill your account up. Don't question if God going to approve your house. Don't question if God going to bring you your wife. Because if he said it, he going to do it. That's what God is saying in his word. Don't question his ability. Don't question if he love you. Don't question, don't question God in that way. You challenging him. If you need to know something, believe me, when I need to know something, I'll be like, God, well, wait, wait, God, see, I'm trying, what is it that you think about this? 
I might see something on TikTok. I'd be like, oh, God, look, listen, I just, this video right here, God, you understand what this is saying. But I want to know what you think about this. See, I am able to see, oh, hallelujah. So God is saying, how do I sit in the house? How do I just study? How do I just read? I am curious about God. I am curious about everything. This is how I keep learning. No matter how many, do you see all these certificates and degrees I got on my wall? When it comes to me learning, I never stop learning. I don't know it all. I want to know more than what I know. And I'm getting a PhD. I will be graduating in May. I'm still on learn. I'm now I'm, I'm on a new journey. And I've been trying to learn how to use the cryptocurrency, how to purchase tokens and utilize that in a way so I can analyze and look at the market structures. I just want to read the market and I want God to show me how to read the market. So that's the next journey. That means I don't know everything. The point of the matter is, is that I'm curious about everything. So everything, <laughs> everything that go on, I ask God about. For instance, I was curious about um, metamorphosis. So metamorphosis is when the caterpillar turns into the butterfly and then it goes from the second stage of shedding the caterpillar's like uh, skin to the butterfly and then it transforms into a butterfly. So I asked God, oh, well, God, could you explain to me like what, how can metamorphosis be applied to other areas in life? I asked God everything. Literally, I'm in fact, I am fascinated with God. And I've been a I've been a nerd that some people would say you a nerd. Well, I I can't tell. <laughs> I can't tell. Okay, so um, I'm I'm God's child. That's who I am. So I label myself who God labeled me as, not what people label me. So that's the point. We have to be curious. Another instance when I've been curious, I ask God. I say, God, see, I really really want to do. I really want to write this book, but you know. That I am so nervous with this book. So I'm trying to figure out what if I write two books in conjunction with each other? Really, I want to analyze like each chapter in the Bible and do a summary, which would be like a study guide to the entire Bible. And I say, well, God, that would be easy. Which one do you think I should do first? So I ask God everything. I want to know, okay, so if he says, and I'm thinking in my mind, well, if God says that I should do the study guide or do the human choices versus God book, I, now I want to know, well, why did you choose that choice, God? Why are you telling me to write this over that one? Well, what's the difference? You know, so it's about you praying to God and you having a relationship with him in a way where you could just talk to God about everything. 
That is when God is sanctifying you. You become, you, you just building a relationship. You are curious about God. This is not a joke. This is serious. So now I want to, um, I have an article. I actually have two articles and I have two videos that I want to show. And I, hopefully I'll be able to have enough time to play them all. But if not, it's fine. Okay. So let me, I want to shift conversation and I want to talk about language for a minute and how language, it really shapes the way that we think. Okay. And so since this topic of curiosity is so, you know, it isn't a topic that is really embraced because curiosity, people say, quit being nosy. It's always coming from a negative annotation. But when you really do love God and you become fascinated with him, you're going to start talking to God while you're working. I sit here and I be writing and I do homework and I just be like, okay, God, so what you think I should say on this part? And I sit here and wait till I hear God's voice. Like, okay, well, what? help me with this, God. I need your help. And of course, I'm not yelling at God. I just talk to God at a regular pace, a regular tone. So, but I wanted to just make sure that everyone understands how when you hear a word like curiosity, how is this word really impacting you? When you think about the word love, for instance, there are so many different interpretations of love. Some people say love is pain. Love hurt. Love betrayed you. Love will get you betrayed. Love will make you soft. Love will get you cheated on. Love will get you robbed. So there's a lot of negative annotations to the word love. Well, that's because people associate words with their experiences. Like you associate your race with, a, you know, like with a certain experience. For instance, there is, there is a such thing as black privilege, just like it's white privilege. There's a such thing as everybody getting privileged in some area. Some people just have higher privilege than others. But no one is exempt from some type of negative annotations. So we perceive things based upon our experience. For instance, some people perceive whites a certain type of way because of the oppression that they've experienced. Some people are so afraid of black people that they just do not trust them at all. And they are afraid of blacks because of their experience with black people. For instance, they just literally had, there was this little boy, I think he was 14 or 15 years old, that where he just got beat up and stumped to death in um, Las Vegas at a, a Rancho High School. And it was 15 black students um, that actually beat him to death and killed him. And he was a white student. And I wanted to say, that that was evil and sinister. And so I wanted to set a little prayer for that too. I want to um just pray. So Father God, we come boldly before your throne of grace. And we just lift up that young male that passed away, the 15-year-old 
male that passed away, God, and we ask that you just comfort his family and just provide healing to his family, Lord God. We do not want his family to hate hate an entire race of people, God. Just please intervene on their behalf, God. Let forgiveness fall upon them, God, and let them see that evil is evil in all colors. It doesn't matter what color it is, God. And so we just ask that you just please provide healing uh, to their hearts and their emotions and their, their, their mental, psychological mind. In the name of Jesus Christ, we just thank you that you give them healing from the top of their head to the soles of their feet. And we seal it with your blood in the name of Jesus Christ. It is sealed in your blood. Amen. So we associate our experiences with people based upon how they treat us. But see, God doesn't want us to be that way. We have to associate behavior with behavior not with race right yes we all have these preconceived notions and belief systems but that shouldn't dictate the way we engage and interact with future individuals because not every black person is going to stomp another person to death or not every white person is the ku klux klan and not every single white person is is willing to provide they not they don't provide hate so we have to look at behavior in a way where this behavior is evil that behavior is sinister that behavior was wicked that behavior was demonic Because people are being led by things in life. So when we look at language, language shapes the way that we think, okay? So words, love, the word love, the word kind, curiosity, all of these words shape the way we think. For instance, I work in the social services, right? And instead of using the word convenience, well, I'm sorry about inconveniencing you we don't use the word inconvenience inconvenience isn't a sincere way to speak to somebody oh i'm sorry for inconveniencing you no 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 you say i'm really sorry that you had to go through that i am i really really am sad saddened by you having to go through such an experience it's really bothersome that you had to endure such a thing. So, you know, it's just all about language and how we talk. Okay, so this is a TED Talk. And I've listened to this lady. She's she's quite interesting, I would say. Um, she is trying to fi figure out how humans get so smart. So, language is something that really uh impact people you know with different sounds their vocabularies the structures that they use um so this lady she's a cognitive scientist basically her name well her name is uh lira brodisky and she she shares examples of language from an aboriginal community in australia that uses cardinal directions instead of left and right to the multiple words for blue and russian that suggests that the answer is a resounding yes. 
So the beauty of linguistic diversity is that it reveals to us just how ingenuous and how flexible the human mind can be. Human minds have invented not one cognitive universe, but 7,000 different languages. And then after she's done with talking about this, I want to talk about how linguistic racism, it does play a key role in, that, in the way that people think and in the way that they respond and react to things. Okay, so this video is um, about 14 minutes long. So if you have any comments, I tried to invite Linda. I tried to invite you on as a speaker, but it didn't work. So I'm not sure what happened there. Okay, so um, please send the request again and I'll, I'll try to let you speak. But um, in the meantime, if you have any comments, please put them in the uh, comment section. All right, I'm going to play the video. It's 15 minutes long. So I'll be speaking to you using language because I can. This is one of these magical abilities that we humans have. We can transmit really complicated thoughts to one another. So what I'm doing right now is I'm making sounds with my mouth as I'm exhaling. I'm making tones and hisses and puffs, and those are creating air vibrations in the air. Those air vibrations are traveling to you. They're hitting your eardrums. And then your brain takes those vibrations from your eardrums and transforms them into thoughts. I hope. Okay. I hope that's happening. So because of this ability, we humans are able to transmit our ideas across vast reaches of space and time. Right? We're able to transmit knowledge across uh, across minds. I can put a bizarre new idea in your mind right now. I could say, imagine a jellyfish waltzing in a library while thinking about quantum mechanics. Right? Now, if everything has gone relatively well in your life so far, you probably haven't had that thought before. <laughs> but now I've just made you think it through language. Right? Now, of course, there isn't just one language in the world. There are about 7,000 languages spoken around the world. And all the languages differ from one another in all kinds of ways. So some languages have um, different sounds, they have different vocabularies, and they also have different structures, very importantly, different structures. That begs the question, does the language we speak shape the way we think? Now, this is an ancient question. People have been speculating about this question for forever. Uh, Charlemagne, Holy Roman Emperor, said, to have a second language is to have a second soul. Strong statement that language crafts reality. But on the other hand, Shakespeare has Juliet say, what's in a name? A rose by any other name would smell as sweet. Well, that suggests that maybe language doesn't craft reality. These arguments have gone back and forth for uh, thousands of years. But until recently, there hasn't been any data to help us decide either way. Recently, in my lab and other labs around the world, we've started doing research, and now we have actual scientific data to weigh in on this question. So let me tell you about some of my favorite examples. I'll start with an example from an Aboriginal community in Australia that I had a chance to work with. These are the Kuktaiar people. They live in Pomporau at the very west edge of Cape York. And what's cool about Kuktaiar is in Kuktaiar, they don't use words like left and right. And instead, everything is in cardinal directions, north, south, east, and west. And when I say everything, I really mean everything you would say something like, oh, there's a, an ant on your southwest leg, uh, or move your cup to the north-northeast a little bit. 
In fact, the way that you say hello in Kuktaer is you say, which way are you going? And the answer should be north, northeast, in the far distance. How about you? So imagine as you're walking around your day, every person you greet, you have to report your heading direction. <laughs> that would actually get you oriented pretty fast, right? Because you literally couldn't get past hello uh, if you didn't know which way you were going. Uh, in fact, people who speak languages like this stay oriented really, really well. They stay oriented better than we used to think humans could. Uh, we used to think that humans were worse than other creatures because some biological excuse, oh, we don't have magnets in our beaks or in our scales. No, if your language and your culture trains you to do it, actually, you can do it. There are humans around the world who stay oriented really well. And just to get us um, in agreement about how different this is from the way we do it, I want you all to close your eyes for a second and point southeast. <laughs> now keep your eyes closed, point. Okay, so you can open your eyes. I see you guys pointing there, 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 there. I don't know which way it is myself. <laughs> you have not been a lot of help. <laughs> so let's just say the accuracy in this room was not very high. This is a big difference in cognitive ability across languages, right? Where one group, a uh, very distinguished group like you guys, doesn't know which way is which, but in another group, I could ask a five-year-old and they would know. There are also really big differences in how people think about time. So here I have uh, pictures of my grandfather at different ages. And if I ask an English speaker to organize time, they might lay it out this way, from left to right. This has to do with writing direction. If you were a speaker of Hebrew, Arabic, you might do it going in the opposite direction, from right to left. Uh, how would the Kuktaer, this Aboriginal group I just told you about, do it? They don't use words like left and right. Let me give you a hint. When we sat people facing south, they organized time from left to right. When we sat them facing north, they organized time from right to left. When we sat them facing east, time came towards the body. What's the pattern? East to west, right? So for them, time doesn't actually get locked on the body at all. It gets locked on the landscape. So for me, if I'm facing this way, then time goes this way. If I'm facing this way, then time goes this way. I'm facing this way, time goes this way. Very egocentric of me to have the direction of time chase me around every time I turn my body. Uh, for the cook tire, time is locked on the landscape. It's a dramatically different way of thinking about time. Here's another really smart human trick. Suppose I ask you, how many penguins are there? Well, I bet I know how you'd solve that problem if you solved it. You went one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. You counted them, right? You named each one with a number, and the last number you said was the number of penguins. Now, this is a little trick that you're taught to use as kids. You learn a number list and you, know, you learn how to apply it. Uh, a little linguistic trick. Well, some languages don't do this because some languages don't have exact number words. They're languages that don't have a word like seven or a word like eight. Uh, and in fact, people who speak these languages don't count and they have trouble keeping track of exact quantities. So for example, if I ask you to match this number of penguins to the same number of ducks, uh, you would be able to do that by counting. But folks who don't have that linguistic uh, trick can't do that. Languages also differ in how they divide up the color spectrum, the visual world. Uh, some languages have lots of words for colors. Some have only a couple words, light and dark. And languages differ in where they put boundaries between colors. 
So, for example, in uh, English, there's a word for blue that covers all of the colors that you can see on the screen. But in Russian, there isn't a single word. Instead, Russian speakers have to differentiate between light blue, голубой, and dark blue, sini. So Russians have this lifetime of experience of, in language, distinguishing these two colors. When we test people's ability to perceptually discriminate these colors, what we find is that Russian speakers are faster across this linguistic boundary. They're faster to be able to tell the difference between a light and a dark blue. And when you look at people's brains as they're looking at colors, say you have colors shifting slowly from light to dark blue, the brains of people who use different words for light and dark blue will give a surprise reaction as the colors shift from light to dark, as if, ooh, something has categorically changed. Whereas the brains of English speakers, for example, that don't make this categorical distinction don't give that surprise, because nothing is categorically changing. Languages have all kinds of structural quirks. This is one of my favorites. Lots of languages have grammatical gender. So every noun gets assigned a gender, often masculine or feminine, and these genders differ across languages. So, for example, the sun is feminine in German, but masculine uh, in Spanish, and the moon the reverse. Could this actually have any consequence for how people think? Do German speakers think of the sun as somehow more female-like and the moon somehow more male-like? Actually, it turns out that's the case. So, if you ask German and Spanish speakers to, say, describe a bridge, like the one here, bridge happens to be Uh, grammatically feminine in German, grammatically masculine in Spanish. German speakers are more likely to say bridges are beautiful, elegant, these stereotypically feminine words, whereas Spanish speakers will be more likely to say they're strong or long, these masculine words. Um, languages also differ in how they describe events, right? Uh, so you take an event like this, an accident. In English, it's fine to say he broke the vase. In uh, a language like Spanish, you might be more likely to say the vase broke or the vase broke itself. Uh, if it's an accident, you wouldn't say that someone did it. In English, quite weirdly, we can even say things like, I broke my arm. Now, in lots of languages, you couldn't use that construction unless you are a lunatic and you went out looking to break your arm and you succeeded, right? Uh, if it was an accident, you would use a different construction. Now, this has consequences. So uh, people who speak different languages will pay attention to different things depending on what their language usually requires them to do. So uh, you show the same accident to English speakers and Spanish speakers. English speakers will uh, remember who did it uh, because English requires you to say, he did it, he broke the vase where Spanish speakers might be less likely to remember who did it. Okay, so I'm not sure what happened here. Um, let's see if I could refresh it. Okay, so it looks like it froze. That's fine. Um, so a couple of key takeaways. She talked about how language crafts reality, right? Our language and how we speak can sometimes craft reality reality for some, and then sometimes it cannot, based upon what she was saying. 
And so we, you see the this um, Aboriginal uh, group of people that are in Australia, they understand language from North, South, East, and West, right? And we also see that Germans and Spanish people, they associate the sun and the moon differently. So Germans associate the sun um, in a feminine way, and they associate the moon in a masculine way. While Spanish speakers associate the sun in a, you know, uh, masculine way and they look at the moon in a feminine way. So when we think about this, if I was to say, you're the sun on a cloudy day. Well, are you saying this to the man or are you saying it to a woman? Right? If Am I saying this to a man? Am I saying this to a woman? So some people can perceive that as being feminine, right? Because I'm saying the sun. I'm saying you're the sun on a cloudy day. Or you're my sunshine after a storm. So are you saying this to a man or are you saying it to a woman? So our perception of language and how we perceive things are always going to be different. So for instance, when she used the word accident, in some cultures, they look at the word accident as something that a person didn't do because it was an accident. But in English, we always have to label who did it. He broke the vase. She broke the vase. And, and in Spanish, they will say, well, the, the vase broke. So we see this, right? So instead of someone saying they broke their arm, they would say, excuse me, your arm was broke. That person's arm was broke. They wouldn't say that they broke their arm, right? So our perception and how we think is really shaped by our language and our experience. Our experience in life. So let's let's look here. I'm gonna um X out of this video. I don't even think it's gonna play anyway. Um, let's go to Deuteronomy chapter six and verse twenty. Deuteronomy chapter six, verse twenty. It says, "In the future, when your son asks you, what is the meaning of the stipulations, decrees, and laws the Lord our God has commanded you?" See, this is curiosity again. In the future, your son asks you, what is the meaning of the stipulations, decrees, and laws the Lord our God has commanded you? Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 20. The New Living Translation says, in the future, your children will ask you, what is the meaning of these laws, decrees, and regulations that the Lord our God has commanded us to obey? In the King James Bible, it says, when your son asks you in time to come, saying, what is the meaning of the testimonies, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord our God has commanded you? The Amplified Bible says, when your son asks you in the time to come saying, what is the meaning of the testimonies and statutes and judgments or precepts which the Lord our God has commanded you? 
This is curiosity. Period. It is curiosity. You have to be curious about God. Being curious about God allows you to have closeness with him. Okay? So, I wanted to read this um I wanted to read I I had found this article. It says curiosity that leads to God. It was published on March the 14th, 2015, and it's a mission Bible class. Um, and this is what it talks about. It says, when was the last time that you were curious about something? I mean, really curious. The kind of curiosity that compelled you to get off the couch or out of the office to go and earnestly seek out the answer. Sort of these burning desires to know that entice you to look around the corner or walk the untraveled path. So how energizing is that quest? How thrilling and satisfying is the answer once found? So what this is saying here is like, when have you become curious about God? When does God compel you? Are you enticed to know more about God? So God draws children to himself through their curiosity. God, he prepares the Israelites leaving Egypt for future questions with their children will ask. And this is in Deuteronomy 6 and 20 and 21. In the future, when your son asks you, what is the meaning of the stipulation, decrees, and laws the Lord our God has commanded you? Tell him we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. This is curiosity. So God does not want us to feel the satisfaction before we have answers because he is the answer. God satisfies the curiosity and longing that you feel. So you ask him something, then you will be able to, to receive. So like this scripture asks and you will find. Ask and you will find. And this is in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. That's the New International Version. The New Living Translation says, Keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. The King James Bible says, Ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. The Amplified Bible says, Ask and keep on asking. And it will be given to you. Seek and keep on seeking. And you will find. Knock and keep on knocking. And the door will be open to you. I, I I personally like the Amplified Bible. I need to get I'm right now. I just be I'll be studying the New Living Translation and also the NIV. But I, I like all three of like the King James, the New International Version, and the New Living Translation. 
But I also would like to know like all of the Amplified Bible too. So I want to be an expert on all four of those Bible versions. King James, NIV, NLT, and the Amplified. That's going to take some time. <laughs> but that's what I want to do. So um, we, see, we see that when you ask God, you will be given what you ask. So you have to be curious about God. That simple as that. God wants you to be curious about him. So there's another video that I want to show. It's only a six minute video, but this is a this is a great video too. Um, it is by um we're actually talking about Brody. Uh I think his name is Jeff Brody or something like that. And uh he was a chief political analyst. Okay, he's also a uh Jew. So I want to uh, play this video in six minutes. The title of it is I Became Curious About God. So here I am, and I'm the chief political analyst for the Christian Broadcasting Network, interviewing the president of the United States, and it happens to be Donald Trump. So I sit down at the table. President Trump walks in, and he goes, I know a lot of people named David Brody, but I've never known a David Brody who grew up Jewish and is now a Christian. I don't get it. That's great stuff. So he goes, Dave, you want to pray? And so I prayed. Looking back at my childhood, we were a reformed Jewish household. I remember being with my grandma, Grandma Cohen. And we were there on a Saturday. Well, hey, guess what? No brushing of the teeth and the lights are out in grandma's house. We do it. It's tradition. It's the high holy days. It's the Sabbath. The whole kit and caboodle. Bottom line is, I loved being Jewish. And I still love being Jewish. It was in high school when things started to change and I didn't even realize it. Lisette was her name. A nice Gentile girl. So we met, we became best friends. She starts to tell me about this, uh, this guy named Jesus. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm Jewish. I'm never going to believe in this Jesus that you talk about. I mean, I don't do the Jesus thing, just so you know. So uh, that, that's interesting. But good for you. Uh, we're still going to be friends and all, obviously. As much as I was saying we Jews don't believe in Jesus, the truth of the matter is, is if the question afterwards would have been, well, why not? I didn't have an answer. It's cultural. You think that you're, okay, hey, you're Jewish, you do these things, X, Y, and Z. Jesus is nowhere in there. So I was interested in these things of God, I guess. I mean, I was just curious. I was asking some questions. So she decided to take me to this church in New York called Times Square Church. So I go in, and I got to tell you, uh, it wasn't necessarily the synagogue experience, if you know what I mean. There were tambourines. People were raising their hands and worshiping God, clearly. And I'm going, where am I? What in the world is this? This is not how I grew up at all. I'll be honest with you. Part of me wanted to leave. But a bigger part of me wanted to stay. I was intellectually curious. I mean, that's the truth. 
I wanted to know more about what was going on with all these people and their tambourines and their outstretched arms. And I listened to the, to the pastor. He was speaking about this Jesus like I had never heard before. This idea that this Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And I'm trying to understand this. I'm like, what, what does that even mean? I mean, we, we Jews, we don't, we don't hear these terms. We don't understand any of this. It was an invitation to lay everything down. In other words, all of your sins and all of the mess ups in your life and everything and just lay it down and realize that Jesus, we call him Yeshua, actually came down from heaven to earth and literally died for our sins. I was ingesting all of it and I thought it was very, very interesting. And he called it a free gift. We're at a prayer meeting in Colorado Springs. We walk in, we're new to town, don't know anybody there whatsoever. But once again, I had not made any decision for Jesus, Yeshua, I had not done that. We're sitting there at the prayer meeting and a guy by the name of Lorenzo comes up to me. Never met him before. He talks about how I grew up Jewish and that I was thinking about this decision about laying my life down for Jesus. And I'm like, whoa, I, how do you even know any of this? We had come with nobody. We were new to town. He knew everything. No one fed him a line. It was really miraculous if you think about it. Somewhat prophetic. Well, my heart started to flutter. It was racing and I'm hearing it all and it's making sense and I'm listening and there's this moment in front of me. I decide right there at that prayer meeting to give my life to Yeshua. I've tried to talk to my mom about Jesus, about Yeshua, and I say, Mom, you realize that uh, Jesus was Jewish. He goes, I thought he was Protestant. I, I think that point kind of put me right back into my childhood. A bunch of tradition, a bunch of not really exploring, not really knowing anything about the Bible. We Jews, we're smart, we're creative, we're inventive. We do a lot of great things. So my charge, my suggestion is use your brain, be curious. You're curious about everything else. Be curious about God. Be curious about who he is, because if you are, he will reveal himself to you. But you must be authentic. Do it. It'll be the best decision you ever make. Be curious. Amen. Hallelujah today. Okay, so he was he's Jewish, but he did not believe in Jesus Christ. So you have to understand that there was a lot of Jews over there in Israel that are Orthodox Jews that do not believe in Jesus Christ. They don't believe in proselytizing and converting Christians or children of God over to being servants of Christ. They don't believe in that. Okay, so we see that this man is a Jew and he changes his life because of a prophetic word that some guy named Lorenzo, who God has used to speak to him to speak to him you the the some of the key takeaways that he said 
was he goes to this church, which is a synagogue. A synagogue is a church, okay? It's an assembly, a gathering of uh, other servants of God. So you have this, he has this feeling because they're shouting and praising, worshiping. They got their hands raised up. They talking about Jesus Christ. He's trying to figure out like, wait, 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 what is all of this? He said he became intellectually curious. Now he wants to know. Now he, he wants to know about God. So that's the thing. With me believing in God, if you ask me any question about God, I better be able to answer you. If I don't and I can't answer you, I'm going to find the answer for you. See, I don't play about God because God is good to me. So we as children of God, we, we are supposed to give an answer about our faith. If somebody asks us a question, you should be able to know the answer. So if you have a question about God, I have an answer for you. Okay. Whatever it is that you want to know, send me an email. Deanna Watson at SuddenChangesCorporation.org. That is D-E-A-N-N-A at SuddenChangesCorporation.org. He also said that because of his traditions, when he talked to his mom, she says, well, Jesus, I thought he was Protestant. Jesus is a, was a Jew. She didn't know that. You know, so a lot of times, yes, our family members love us. And yes, they have great intentions. But many times, the information could be flawed. It could be skewed or inaccurate. Not saying that they were purposely trying to give you wrong information. Like your mom or your aunties or your grandparents. But they, they can only give you information with what they had available to them. So he says, use your brain. Be curious about God. But you have to be authentic. If you have a question, don't, don't be scared to ask God. Ask God for what you want. Ask him and he will reveal to you whatever it is that you are what you wanted to know. Don't forget Matthew chapter 7 and verse 7. Don't forget those things. Ask and you will get ask, ask God. You keep on asking God and it will be given to you. If you seek, you will find. When you knock, the door will be open. So just ask God. Okay. So um the other article is uh the other one here is really talking about being curious about um being curious about God too. So many biblical views about God or being curious, they have they like I said they come from a negative place because they feel that you know um the Bible is you know so many people that was curious something something happens to them um so let's go to uh let's so let's go let me just go to romans chapter 10 and 17 and i'll end on that tonight romans 10 17 so it says 
faith consequently faith comes by from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word about christ in the nlt version the new living translation it says so faith comes from hearing that is hearing the good news about christ the king james bible says so then faith coming by hearing and hearing by the word of god the amplified bible says so faith comes from hearing what is told and what is heard comes by the preaching of the message concerning christ see so your language and the words that you use you're connected to certain things because of your experience so your language and the things that you hear is connected to your belief system it's connected to your perception it's connected to the way that you feel about things So when it comes to money, everybody has a perception about money. Everybody has a feeling about money. Everybody has something that they want to say about money. If you say, well, money should be saved. I believe actually that there is no reason for you to work every single day. And so you, you don't work a job without you know, you don't work just to pay bills. That's not what you work for. Period. You do not work just to pay bills. That's my perspective. So money is not meant just to pay bills. Some people may just feel, look, I'm going to work. Gotta pay the bills. I got to go to work. I got to pay the bills. For me, that's absolutely not. I'm not going to work just to pay bills. If I have to go to work just to pay bills, I don't want that job. That means I need to change something in my life. I'm not going to work just to go pay bills. So that's my perspective, <laughs> but you know, like we all have a perspective, just like we all have a perspective about love. We all have a perspective about relationships. Maybe you feel that, you know, uh, in, in a marriage, your wife should not ever talk to another man. Well, I mean, she may encounter a, a male grocer, a cashier. What, what happens then? You know, what if she encounters a, a you know, a, a male Lyft driver? You know, so like we all have to coexist with the opposite sex. It isn't about your wife not being around any other males. It's about can your wife remain faithful even when she's around another male? Can you trust? your wife to be faithful to you regardless of wherever she goes because remember we have to coexist in a world of opposite sex so my husband will have to coexist with the opposite sex period so we we just have really have to pay attention to our language and how we're connected to the things that we know from our pre-existing thoughts and beliefs so let me go ahead and pray because I'm at the two hour mark. 
So, Father God, we just come boldly before your throne of grace. We thank you so much for giving us your word today. We pray that you allow us to live a life in a way where we can be curious about your word. Allow all of your children to be curious about you. Let us be fascinated about you. Let us be thirsty for you, God. Let us long for you. Let us desire you, God. Let us ask and, and seek and find you, God, and knock and so that you can open up doors. We just ask that you just transform our lives in a way where we're curious about you, curious about your plan, will, and purpose for our life, God. And just please just allow us to just be curious about everything and include you in our choices and decisions. But most importantly, God, please allow your will to be done in our life. In the name of Jesus Christ, it is sealed in your atonement blood. Amen. So go ahead and unlearn the things that you need to. Ask God to help you unlearn what you need to so that you can fulfill his plan, will, and purpose. Okay? All right. I'll see you all on Thursday because I'm closed tomorrow. You